You're listening to Force Fed Digital. BXU Hurt. What's going on? It's your boy Kingsbridge Rich. You're listening to the My Bronx Story podcast. Today's episode No Justice, No Peace of Turkey. And so, for those who've been supporting me, I appreciate it. Thank you for all the love. Catch me on IG, catch me on TikTok, uh, catch me on YouTube, uh, subscribe, and follow me on all my socials so you can keep up to date. So I've been blessed by having so many opportunities to share my perspective and stories with you guys. And, um, you know, just being a part of all these different communities has been a blessing and stuff. So I've definitely been able to connect with people that I probably wouldn't have otherwise connected with. And now we're bringing all these stories and soon to come some interviews. So we're cooking some stuff and it's going to be dope and um, be on the lookout and stuff. I got a couple projects that, that are dear to my heart that I like for you guys to, to keep in touch over. But yeah, man, today, man, just I, I want to follow up on a few news items because one of the episodes I had recently, I was talking about deflated football face academics. And um, I had a little follow up, but I feel like the news has moved so fast in the last week that what I started with became old news fast and everything tied to Diddy. Or well, just about everything tied to Diddy. So this has been, I think, a two, three-week span that Diddy's been on some take that, take that, take that. Like, he's been wilding. And so here's some of the things that I was originally going to cover. Um, one being Keefe D and the million dollars. Like, that's wild that Tupac's murder has been for so long unsolved. And there's been all these interviews and stuff, but now we're at a point that it's pointing to Diddy. There's been so many conspiracy stories on Diddy, but Diddy, I don't know what it is that this has been the last two weeks where he's just been on the news on various stuff. So if the Keefe D $1 million payment for Tupac's murder wasn't enough, academics and his flat football face is added again. And so this tie-in with, with, with Diddy is that he's here claiming that Tupac, that the, the way that, that Tupac was set was the way that he was going to catch him out there. So we know the standing feud and the beef that occurred between academics and Saucy Santana. I talked about it before. And so this, this I, 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 get, I cringe at academics. I can't stand him, and I see right through him. What I've seen from him is that he, he likes to, he likes to, to I, I just can't stand when people have a certain stature and they act tough but they're not. So I could see that about him. That's one. But two, when he flexes, a lot of times he either slick talks a guy and somebody tries to get at him and, you know, he wiggles out of it. Or the other one is that he just gets at women. And that one really bothers me. And just the whole dynamic of, you know, you're, you're a man and this is a woman. But now we kind of had that issue that set all this stuff in play with academics where he met his match. And so somewhere along the lines, like I said before, I believe that academics likened a person from the LGBTQ community, rapper Saucy Santana in this case, as maybe weak because of his orientation, because of their orientation, right? So what does that do? That puts him in a position where now Saucy Santana's like, yo bro, now you're gonna have to guard those cheeks because after I give you these knuckles, I'm gonna pull down your buckle. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? And so that just set, so academics clearly was scared from that point on. And then the last, the last allegation had to do uh, recently because this is, this is, um, this is coming out of Vibe magazine. During a recent live stream, academics said that the Love Record CEO, Puff Daddy, suspiciously invited him to a party in London, ultimately deciding to go to a hookah lounge instead. So this is academics being invited and being a little weary, like, whoa, yo, dog, are you trying to invite me to London because of who he rose with or whatever like that? So it says that the podcaster recently accused Diddy of trying to set him up to possibly run into Young Miami or the Walk Rhymer in London. So he says that he also expressed that if he had accepted the invite, he feared that Santana would jump out and start twerking on him. How pathetic. And, and that, yo, what, like, you know, let's be real. This is, this is the, the last thing I'm going to say on that about academics. Look at Saucy Santana and look at academics. Pull up a picture on Google. They're both built the same. They got, I, I put my money on Saucy. They're both built the same. What I think it is, is that academics don't want the smoke. And all he's doing is throwing smoke screens. He don't want it. And this is why I say I'm sure that he's not a hood dude because every hood dude knows that gay person that got a mean knuckle game, whichever way they identify. So I think it's a fair fight. And I think academics is fronting when he comes and makes it seem about like that he doesn't want to fight because he don't want no beef with the community. I think the community would love that. We could turn this into a pay-per-view event. Know what I mean? But the back to P. Diddy because this involved P. Diddy and you know this is wild that he's like it makes me feel like this dude is is so in the news that he might be running for office because usually when you got that much news about you is that you know you, you're you're running and people are finding all the dirt and they're about to like kind of stifle your campaign. But as if that wasn't enough for Diddy, he got an issue with none other than Cassie. And so this this has been a hot month for, for Diddy. He's been take that take that take that and um. The weird thing, this is, so with Cassie, Cassie R.B. artist, her real name is Cassandra Ventura, alleges that she was trafficked. Now, this is some serious claims. Listen, I know, I know I'm kind of like with a joking tone talking about Puff, Puff Daddy Diddy, you know what I mean? But let's go to the allegations again. Allegedly, was trafficked, raped, plied with drugs, and viciously beaten by the rapper on many occasions over the course of 10 years. It's November. We usually call this an October surprise for politics. I'll talk a little bit of politics because usually the smear campaigns comes around campaign season. Like, Puffy, what is it? Like, everyone's coming out the woodworks. But now here's the crazy thing. At the time I wrote this down, the news had changed. Puff Daddy. This is, this is what I'm going to read what Puff Daddy said about it. So I'm going to read it according to the statement. In a statement, a lawyer for the rapper said he vehemently denies these offensive and outrageous allegations. So, because if you sue somebody for 30 bands, not 30 bands, 30 million, oh no, as a person who's almost a billionaire, you're going to clap back. You're going to use that money to, because you know your reputation brings you money, your status. Oh no, there's no way Puff Daddy should settle on something like that, right? You should spend a little bit of those, you know, that bread that you make, you know, fighting it because, you know, charge it to the game. That's how it is. People are going to sue you. You got good lawyers. You rich. You're almost a billionaire. So, you, you, you know, you got a war chest. You could do that unless. So, again, he vehemently denies these offensive and outrageous allegations. They added, Ms. Ventura's demand of $30 million under the threat of writing a damaging book about their relationship was unequivocally rejected as blatant blackmail. Is Cassie really out here trying to blackmail Puffy? 
So what would happen if it was that Cassie was um, trying to get at Puffy? And that's a dumb rhetorical question because by the time you're hearing this, the news has spun so fast that we realize that Puff Daddy settled out of court. I know this because I follow TikTok, and if you're like an Instagram person, you might not know it because people on Instagram is kind of like the way it is when, when you live in DR and your people from New York go up there and you got like, a, you know, you get like three seasons ahead or whatever like that. Like the TikTok world be like that. Everything goes on the fly. You kind of learn perspectives. So shout out to my TikTok people, whatever. But Facebook, I don't, I don't, you notice I don't even be promoting Facebook or whatever. I be taking things off of Facebook. But like all these platforms be echo chambers. And so you didn't really get to get all these updates. But in this case, there's been an update on top of an update. And I've done rewrote things and all to include that a settlement. Now, I don't know what the settlement was for if, if, if he went and gave him the full 30. But you have to imagine if you're going to settle a case like that with these sorts of allegations, you know, how can you be innocent? And so a problem I have is that as I've been looking at like the different videos that are highlighting some of these details, it brings some type of thought into play. Some people think why she took so long. And then this, this tone of victim blaming comes on. And this victim blaming is a thing that people, people apply it when necessary because it's almost like you're throwing some type of distraction and you're overlooking the sensitivity of the fear it might take. Because unless you're in that person's shoes as a victim, how would you know what's keeping them? And it's easy for people to say, oh, it's because of money. Oh, why now? There's something so convenient about it. People don't realize that there's a fear that you have to overcome to whistle blow. There's the challenge and the threat that things are going to be extremely uncomfortable for you when you stick up for yourself. And such is the case in entertainment and such is the case in the world and such is the case in our history and such is the case in politics and such is the case in religion and such is the case in education and such is the case in family and such is the case in trauma where it's such a challenge and it's uncomfortable for you to speak out where now people with their blind loyalties go to who it is that's given them favors. And it's so ugly when it comes up and it leaves you more further victimized because you're victimized by the initial situation. But now the ostracizing and all the things that happen to you, all the people that ride out and be like, yo, you just want it for the money. Initially, because these are the things that happen up front when you start talking. We don't know that Cassie began to talk she may have began to talk and she got shut down by those very victim shamings. And at this point, if it took her 20 years, 10 years, 15 years to come up with the truth and New York just passed the law, which is what she's taken advantage of, where she can now come front, uh, come and, and uh, confront this matter. And so we understand that even statute of limitations are things that and I mean, Hey, let's take it to, we can apply that to so many ways, but all to say is like when it comes to community and when it comes to the world, you know, we, it's, it's really more of a dynamic power and we see it playing out so much that it's easy to find it as a template and apply it to all these areas in our lives. So when I think about that, when I think about um, politics, for example, I had some time that I shared in politics and we saw the same thing. So I joked about Diddy running for election. Maybe he's not because October surprises where the shame comes out. And Diddy's been all through the news, October, November, up until today. So, you know, that might not be the case, even though I think he's got the keys of the city. But, hey, move over Eric Adams, if anything. But there's a lot of socialite competition between the two. So I don't expect Diddy to be running for nothing. But who's to say that somebody else doesn't come out with allegations? Because this is just the beginning and it's been a hot news week for Diddy. But again, speaking of politics, openly gay Democratic congressman and the wish version and stunt double of Trevor Noah 
none other than Congressman Richie Torres has made the news. Yeah, they say he has a twin. I don't, I don't think it's, unless it's fraternal, I don't think it's uh, Trevor Noah, but they have a striking resemblance. And so what I can say is, Richie Torres, shame on you. Like, bro, you used to be one of us, the marginalized people. And what happened? The first openly gay candidate to be elected to legislative office in the Bronx. Wikipedia calls him the youngest elected to council, but he's not. History tells me and it reminds me because I was around for a bit that Joel Rivera was. So, um, but more about what his biographies show about him. He was raised in the projects by a single mom and is Afro-Latino. And again, like I said before, openly gay. So, bro, you know the margins. You know the disenfranchised. You know the suffering, the plight of the people. Because, bro, wasn't your people riding out with you and getting you into city council? Weren't you on a progressive platform? Weren't you going against the machine? Weren't you looking up to people like AOC for changing the face of politics? And now what we're seeing about you, brother, and why I say shame on you is because, yo, we just want the old Richie Torres back. We want the, the Justice for Junior legislation Richie Torres back. But what's happened? What did you... um and I'll kind of break down what my frustration is with him because what I feel happens time and time again is that we have people that run on a platform, they pander to the community, they get the ticket. Now, the struggle's real. He got the background. And so it's like a double shame on you for me when you get to a position where you climb and then something happens where you lose touch with your people. And why would I say that it's Richie Torres losing trust? So just recently, I learned about a few legislators who, um, who have been causing some ruckus within Congress. And all of this has to do with the conflict between Israel and Palestine. And I'm going to spare you the entire details of it. But pretty much Richie Torres, in his own words, has considered himself a Zionist, which has been a hot topic name. I don't know if I'm going to be canceled just by saying these words, but if this is it for me, it's been a good run. But more on that, because when you stand on your convictions, you really don't give a fuck who cuts you off. You understand? And it's going to hurt you. It can burn you in so many ways. And I've experienced that myself. So, Richie Torres, what I think happened to you is that you were in touch with the community. You, um, you got a little too big for your bridges. You ran the Congress. And then what happened with you is that you had this, uh, this standard on you with, that you had to live by. And you had to be a little pro-Zionist because in Congress, we're finding out that you got to be so supportive of Israel. And this is where now the terminology and people could kind of just throw flag, uh, a flag on the play just because I said Israel. I can clarify that. This is not going to be a history lesson. But to say Israel has been occupying Palestine. A Israel has been an occupational force. Israel has been an oppressor historically in a certain region that now we find people fighting back. And by saying that, people would make me and others who share the same sentiment make us look like we're anti-Semitic. And I have so much trouble even saying that word. There's platforms I cannot speak that word because then I get banned. And it's so, it sucks. I could be on live and I can't even say the word banned. We use nicknames on TikTok. We say bananaed so that our accounts are not flagged. And, you know, I'm venturing on this podcast. I don't know if there's any trigger words or whatever, or I'm going to get a visit. But all I can do is tell you my observations and stories. But as a disclaimer, I love all people and I want peace. And I wish for a ceasefire. And what that means is that I wish that there's no firing upon from the Israelis to the Palestinians and from the Palestinians to the Israelis. The ceasefire is that there's no more fire, right? At the core of it, this is what, but if we have to look historically 
and we have to look at who has the upper hand and who has the underhand, who's the underdog here. When we look at the, the liberties that one side has and the other one, the other side and what they don't have, just to kind of keep it general so that you can look for yourself so that I don't even present a bias. But my problem is that, oh, yeah, fuck it. I want to create a bias. Free Palestine um, and ceasefire, which is respectful of all sides because the beef got to stop. If my kids, who I love dearly, who come with different skill sets and characteristics and flaws are fighting with each other, my wish is that they stop. My wish is that they unite. My understanding is that there's some fume and there's a past, a history, something that's occurred. But in this present moment, I realize something's got to give. And so when you hear terminology from some of our electeds, right, that identify as a Zionist, that's so insensitive. And if that's what he believes, then it really runs contrary to his roots of dealing with marginalized people. You would think that the person has muscle memory. So again, why Richie? And I'll tell you my suspicion and, you know, why are you going so hard for Israel? And not even Israel, because there's, there's Israelis, there's Jews that want peace. They don't want a conflict. But then the Zionists, which is a sect within them, and Richie Torres, and you can look it up yourself. He considered himself a Zionist. So for those people who are trying to, like, control and utilize, you know, the United States for their bidding and, and you know, are acting like a, a dog without a leash, you know, for all the trouble that's going on, shame on you, Richie Torres, because you've accepted, I think, upward of $400,000 in your campaign, which pretty much puts you in the pocket. Because, like, at this point, you'd have to really do some huge compromises to get, to get, uh, to keep your, to, well, to get to that place. And that's what happens with people. People end up running for, for a certain position or, or they attain a certain type of power and they get through, through, through compromise. You know, there's a certain moral footing they have at one, at one point. And now it's like, mm, for the dollar. Yeah, okay, I'm going to have my support for you. And then later you find out that comes with the favor that you owe that you might have a hard time delivering. Now you got to, now the implications of, of by you doing this for this group, what's that going to mean for the other groups? And then you still have to do the job of being diplomatic. And you still got a job of representing the poorest congressional district in the country, in the Bronx. The poorest congressional district in this country is located in the Bronx. So I have a real big problem with that. So we want you back, bro. Come back home. Get off of daddy's lap, APAC, which stands for American Israel Public Affairs Committee. And um, they've done a huge contribution to you, bro. Come back home. And not only have they, uh, have they given money to Richie Torres in the past and has helped them out, look at what they're doing now. $100 million to run campaigns against the candidates who consider themselves, they're the liberal seven, or also known as the squad, of which AOC is a member. And I got a quote from her about ceasefire. Uh, Criticism of the Israeli government is virtually non-existent in U.S. politics. But apparently, that's not enough. She said on X, which is formerly Twitter, gotta spend $100 million to unseat the few who believe in Palestinian human rights and a ceasefire that most Americans already support. The acceptable level of dissent is zero, which is all to say that if you're from this country, there is a zero tolerance of you saying anything that's contrary to Zionist or Israeli, their stance as a government. Because again, even Jewish people are divided within that. But again, what does everything that I'm talking about have to do with what's important this week? This is not just hot news. 
this is something that kind of runs parallel to the American experience. Because it's so easy for us to forget that sometimes we even have traditions that celebrate such a dark history right under our noses. And that's what it's like to be an oppressed person. When your history is scrubbed from you, you take on new history. You take on new, a new spiritual context, a new observation, something that's not tribal to you, something that's not ancestral to you. As a person that becomes displaced, a person that is marginalized, you have your identity stripped from you. You have what society is telling you what to do. Us minorities, us marginalized people, a part of these groups know that all too well. And what happens with the data shows in the poorest districts, our educational systems suffer, our healthcare systems suffer, we don't utilize healthcare. That's what it looks like to be marginalized people, that the, the, the health disparities that exist here, asthma, diabetes, all the things that on the campaign trail, these elected officials fight for, these are the same things that across the globe, when we hear think places like Palestine and Israel, these are the same injustices, if I need to paint a picture, that are existing currently, where people are having, well, the conditions, right? Just, just imagine a war movie that you've seen with rubble and buildings that are barely standing, and just imagine a population of young people, because the, the seniors at this point have been killed off. There's what's called the mowing of the lawn, where we've had three separate invasions that has occurred that's you know shaved off the light expectancy just a bit because we have kids that are being killed. On both sides, there's trouble, but there needs to be a solution. But how ironic that we don't mix in with the oppressed, but we as oppressed people, and I'm speaking as a, an oppressed person, how we don't get our shit together and fight back the powers that be. Why is it that it feels like we really don't have a voice? Is it that like my beef with elected officials, and I've worked in politics, I'll, I'll share a little bit about that, but is it that at some point people in, in, in all these aspects of power, religious figures, political figures, community leaders, people at some point with power find themselves in an entanglement with, with having to maintain that power and compromising. And what does that mean? A money amount? Bribery? Legis legislation that favors one group over another? Is this not how this country was built? Is this not reminiscent of the holiday season that we're in now? Because speaking of genocide and the displacement of native people, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. I'm a vegetarian anyway, so I don't necessarily celebrate Thanksgiving for, for the food culturally or whatever. I think it's your business in what way you celebrate. Only thing I can say to chime in is that you be intentional. It's a good opportunity if I can suggest something and it's up to you to, to receive it or implement it. But if I can suggest something, now is a good time to look into history. And at that point that you look in history, you can apply it to what's going on currently. And I'm sure you're going to draw some parallels that would help you kind of see what side of history you fall on or what the future you think should look like or which group should have a helping hand or which ones need to be a little more clear with what the fuck is going on. Because this is, again, this is ethnic cleaning. This is genocide. This is what the natives went through, you know. But again, I can, I can, I can be here and make it about vegetarian Thanksgiving meals and kick it with that and we could have a great time on recipes. But it didn't spin that way for me today. I could talk about the time that, you know, it was my job to get a penny and I got a ham. I don't know. I'm a vegetarian. My mom was like, um, that's a real tasty ham, but that's no penny. 
and I made a mistake. So what? I could tell you a story time about that and how much we laughed about it and how dumb I felt, whatever. I could talk about who fucked the patella or order up one Thanksgiving. I could talk about ketchup or no ketchup. Um, I could talk about whose coquito was bullshit. You understand? And, and, and the same thing we do all the time. Criticize who's on their third boyfriend or girlfriend at the family gathering. We could talk about alternate side parking and, and which person comes in town. We're the out-of-towners now. So now when we visit, we got to learn how people's, you know, the rules are or whatever. But, you know, like, yo, we could take a light and just, you know, run it back and do Thanksgiving the way we have all this time. And for us, and I'm talking to the Boricuas right now, like, it's crazy how we understand imperialism to a degree, us who know our history. We understand colorism, us who know our history. We understand um, um, colonialism, right? We understand, you know, the Jones Act and we understand the things that, cause us to not have a proper independence and to not be autonomous and to not take advantage of trade the way that would help our economics. We know that much and still we don't see ourselves in the faces of the oppressed, Palestine, Congo, you understand? And, and what's the playbook? It's crazy that the playbook comes from right here. You know what's older than all of that? Columbus and the Native Americans. You know what's older than all that? Hitler's treatment of the Jews and him learning from America how to inflict the worst because apparently they weren't doing it right or enough. So they had to get a page out of the way America be, you know, doing it up with our African and American brothers. How can we not look at Thanksgiving for even a slight second and look at the history? How can we not? But we get stuck on talking about, well, I split in a little $20, all the nostalgic pieces, the little candy, the patterned sofas, you know, the tan one with the brown flequitos on it, sometimes wrapped in plastic, sometimes not. We get wrapped up in all the pieces that remind us of, of, of our families, but not about the people who suffered and, and the lie that was created to make this into a celebration so we can move past the context, the narrative. Because that's what's going to happen. And it's good that we're all talking about this. It's good that we have platforms that move across with the information that is not just freaking echo chambers where people are speaking their ideologies and it's left amongst that community. Facebook and all your friends because you guys all got the same bullshit in common. So whenever you speak, it's all there in that echo chamber. IG and all the thousands of pictures or whatever you're into or not into. But, you know, different strokes for different folks. Whoever subscribes to that, follows that, that's what they... But TikTok... An app like that where information is shared all across, now we talk. Now we got progress. So you can learn yourself a thing or two about the history. So today we acknowledge the real history behind Thanksgiving and why some folks say that it's not about being a holiday worth celebrating. So again, to each his own, you do what you could, but when you really think about it, we can draw some parallels between what went down with the Native Americans during Columbus's time and what's happening to Palestinians today. So... It's some good reading or whatever you can do. Catch a video on it. But because back in the day, Columbus lands, right? Native Americans got their land taken. The culture's disrupted. Lives changed forever. Fast forward now, over in the Middle East. Palestinians also facing displacement, conflict, the Congo, conflict, destabilization, high resources, and a struggle for their rights. Human rights, water, health care. They're dropping bombs that are severing people. Now... That's extreme. Surely there's never been a time in, 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 in the world where there's been such a genocide on this land. Well, we know racism and we know what, you know, slavery and all the things that's occurred with that. And what still occurs because we have modern slavery. But we also know 
what happened on the lands for the Native Americans, you know? Ethnic cleaning. European settlers had encroached in the territory and displaced them. They moved westward. In times, they were hunted. The population of bison dwindled. I don't remember the data because I read this in a book that I don't have in front of me. And I'm not even going to do the search. You could do that. It might be 85 to 90% of the bison population disappeared because that was the method that they killed the food supply of the natives. And that's the way they got to move them as they encroached in their neighborhoods and they were building westward, the European settlers, as they met these natives. That's what they did for the food source. And so ethnic cleansing, like you imagine, it's like the, it's like the, the lice comb where you have the gnat, you know what I mean? Like there's the different stages and stuff. So you imagine when you pluck the kids off, you know, you don't teach them proper education. This is, this is other things that's happened for them, right? They were stripped of their spiritual observations and demonized by Christians and the Christian way, whole other subject. Their education was controlled or lack of education. Their lifestyle was flushed out for them. I gave the example of the bison. So while it might be or seem like a time to gather and feast, it's essentially to recognize the complex history behind it and to draw these conclusions and these parallels to what's happening now and what's happened before because if we look at history we have a chance to keep it from repeating itself or at least to to kind of get people's attention or whatever and i don't want to seem like so radical on it because it, it could feel like that for people who don't want to hear it no more it doesn't seem radical to the person that has that conviction and i got that conviction as a child like i was fighting back the oppressive feeling of having an abusive mother i was fighting back with my a, a sort of protest. Here's my first protest. You want to hear it? My first protest. I got my ass whooped, and I stood up and I spoke up, but not with words. I ran away from home, and I ran away to McDonald's, and it was about 10 minutes away. So forget the fact that I got hungry, and I came back home, and I was offered some food, and I ate right away. Nobody noticed that I was gone, and that might seem like a loss, and it did feel like a loss, but I had the feeling of standing up. I had the feeling of standing up for mine. I had another time in a protest and standing up for myself. This is at a time that I was insecure of my body. I didn't feel tough. I didn't act tough. I wasn't a part of any, um, you know, any kind of, I was an innocent kid at this point. And I remember visiting my father on 183rd and Webster. There was a little bodega in there. I go in with my brother. My brother's uh, coming up to me and telling me, yo, there's these kids following me. When I see these kids, I look at my brother and I see the face on him. And it was a trigger. I had grown up, and there had been times that my mom would get at both of us. And I'd jump in the way when he was getting his. And me, as much as I got it for whatever reason. And that's something in, in how you could be wired from that kind of trauma, that when you have these experiences, something activates. And it's not about, like, win or lose. Like, at that point, depending on how, how hot-tempered you are because of the injustice or whatever, it supersedes your fear of getting beat up, getting knocked out, being injured, and you just go for yours. And this was, like, my first time fighting back and there was one kid that was a little taller so he was my height and there was a smaller one he was a lot younger he was younger than my brother too and my brother's probably like 12 I was like 13 or, or something like that but and this is probably months before my father passed away too he was sick but yeah these kids are following us and stuff and you know I cocked my hand back I swung this kid really hard he flew out through the, the front door you know plastic door with the with the metal railing by the middle swings open you hear the chime cling 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 door slams against the the back of the 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 window that's connected to the storefront and i'm out there in the front in the winter with a heavy ass coat just picture if you know the 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 popular christmas movie 
A Christmas Story, I think it's called, where the kid can't take it no more and the bully, and he jumps on top with this big puffy jacket because I was fat and all my sleeves was never hemmed, so I had long ass sleeves with wide clothes that was really long. That was the That's the short and stocky fit, by the way, but I had the short and stocky fit, and yo, I just started throwing my hands, uh, 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 and yo, I was landing them so much. All I could talk about is that feeling. Fear disappeared. I stood up for myself. And it was worth it. I felt vindicated. I was complete. It changed me. It told me going forward, I can do that again. It told me when something's wrong, you can't meet it. We're right. And something between all my experiences in life has been fine-tuned, I think, possibly by my traumas. You see, we're all built a certain way. And I can understand it could be really tough for people to become courageous in these times, but step out the way. And don't sell yourself. Don't play yourself. What I think playing yourself is, is going for power that you can't yield. You think it's all cool to be a cop because you're going to have a gun until you're in a project hallway and you shook. What's your business being a cop if you're going to be shook to enforce? Why work at a customer service job if you ain't got no good customer service skills? That's my hot take. But, yo, yeah, the store, I threw my knuckles. It felt great. It was liberating. Um, my first demonstration. And this is all things that came very early for me. So the passion started super early. As a kid, abused physically. I watched my mother get abused, and that also struck something in me with, with how men can be overwhelming with women, overpowering women, dominating them, controlling them, physically abusing them. These are things I watched myself. So again, I'm fine-tuned to see this and to get really ticked the hell off over it. And activism. You know, not only did I, I, I remember I went to my first demonstration in D.C. because a friend of mine in school, this girl, her father was an activist. At that point, yo, I thought that, like, you know, your, your, the former protest at that point was just making noise for what's right. I wasn't really thinking about protests happening still. I thought that was back in the Malcolm X days. Like, that's old footage. People still doing that? Yo, this dude filled up a bus to D.C. and they asked, oh, would you like to? I'm like, what we're doing? And then we get loud and, oh, I'm like, I'm with that. I can't tell you right now what, what we were fighting for, what, we, what the cause was. But, bruh, being around all these people with flags, that thing changed me. That thing changed me and, and it's a lens that I continue to live my life through. And I think we all should be involved to a degree. We all have, there's things that piss us off. If you're not pissed off by the conditions in your community, if you're not pissed off and hold to account the systems that you interact with, then these politicians will continue to sell you a false ma narrative. Then you'd be celebrating your Thanksgiving, following the normal traditions in life, just taking it at face value and not looking at the little intricacies, the things that are in place to keep you down. Because it happens where in our churches, it happens in politics, it happens in, in education, in cap it happens in healthcare, it happens in the nonprofit sector. I got the liberty of having been involved with so many of these different sectors that there's something universal about this whole power dynamic. It's always crabs in a bucket, people trying to keep you down. There's also people who try to step on you so they can climb up. There's also people who feel power for the first time. There's also people who they joke a certain way because they got trauma. And when you're in like these these hood organizations or whatever, like all you, all it is is like people who look like your titi, people who look like your tío, who joke like your tío. A lot of like unhealthy people. Mentally, people from the hood who have certain backgrounds that should speak the language, but then it's like people don't speak up because if I go against the system, this is the only system I got. We've been blessed. I'm talking across to my wife. We've been blessed that we've been a part of so many circles that we be aight without being in one. 
so when we serve, when we suffered through persecution at the church, we did a decade in the church. We saw some things that we kind of highlighted, like, yo, this is wrong. And the treatment that we got because of standing up. Now, the compromise would have been, yo, chill, you know what I mean? It's not what it looked like, fall back, we're trying to fix it. Yeah, we're not perfect, let's just pray through this. That would have been the compromise, but I stand on my conventions. And we had to go to the very uncomfortable experience of bouncing from there, people thinking we liars, people disappearing on us being uncomfortable going to weddings and just the whole thing of mutual friends that thing all got ugly and we spared them so much by keeping certain things like under wraps and we just bounced from it now to a person that that's all they know that's their first position in life to that person that that's the the first appointment that they've ever got they're deacon now what's gonna happen that their whole family know that they're in the lord now they're not a whole no more now they're a deacon what's gonna happen to them now you know what I mean? Everybody, I'm like, I knew that hoe wasn't going to last as a deacon all that time. She probably screwed the pastor or whatever. But point is that, like, people be in their own, people be in a job 20 years. They don't complain one bit because they're not trying to ruin that bag. Stand on your convictions. Speak up. You want to take it a step further? The technology that we use. Like, if your lifestyle makes it very unfair for another person to live, you got to make an assessment of how you're living. And that's what this fight is about. Protecting this whole capitalistic way. Invading a land that is rich with resources and taking people to work it and taking their ideas and industrializing the process and slaving us with recreation that funnels the money back to them, keep us enslaved by every system that's meant to oppress us. And then here's this little trinkle of, of, um, of systemic racism in there and the little antidotes to keep us down. But finally, we have people like us that know the plan. We get up to position and what we do. It's better to what they say. It's um, um, if you can't beat them, join them. Sometimes you gotta find what hill you're gonna die on. That's what I say. But again, holding these systems to account is a super huge deal. Uh, as far as activism, like there's so many opportunities that you get to take a holiday like this and to not only just take it at face value. Find some Palestinian dishes. Learn on on what the conflict is about. Don't take my word for it on what side I take. But look into the look into the history. Try to find out what the beef is all about. Be a, be a very open-minded person, you know, willing to, to listen to the story. And before you go taking sides, you know, just kind of look into what the history was like for us Boricuas, for us Caribbean people. We're, we're at the time of information. Look at what it meant for the natives on this land. Look at what it meant for the Tainos, Cuba, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, Puerto Rico, the Bahamas. You know what I mean? Like, look into to what it did for our people and how similar it looks to what's going on over there. So, all to say, for me, my experience has kept me supercharged. And it's not only there, I could continue to go on and on on the different boards that I've been a part of. You know, political people, OGs, activists, Felipe Luciano, and the gems that I've gotten in my time serving alongside as board members, Latino Leadership Institute, Spanish Harlem, culturally diverse um, programs that affect black and brown people and my involvement. I've been so blessed and I've taken the pain and turned it to purpose. And for a while, I think I didn't take an assessment on powers that be, but at this point now, after all the times I've stood up for myself, after all the times that I've chosen not to compromise, after all the times I went to the uncomfortable position of moving away from systems that did not match. It felt like a punishment, but it has always been a reward.
And on that note, I say to do the same. It's always going to be worth it. So free Palestine. Happy Thanksgiving. Be intentional and be open. I'll catch you on the rebound. Peace.